Last week we got quite a few chapters into Judges, but before we start today, I want you to turn to the 11th chapter of Hebrews for just a minute to see where everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That was the story of the book of Judges. Everyone did what they wanted to do, but yet, even with their bad morals and all, notice in the Hebrews of faith, we won't go through all of them, but we'll just start with Moses because we've been studying Moses all year. By faith Moses, verse 23, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now, this is what Moses, esteeming the reproach of Christ. So did they know about Christ, the Messiah who would come? Yes, Moses knew. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt because they all knew that God had promised through Abraham in the Old Testament. They all knew that God had promised a savior, the Messiah, the Christ would come from Abraham's family and he would be the savior and he would be then moved on to become from David's family. But by faith, Moses knew this. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Here we come then. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Now see, these are people that believed what we see in chapter 1. Faith is an assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or the proof of things not seen. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And without this kind of faith, verse 6, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Then the list of these people. But imagine, along with Abraham and Noah and David, Gideon. What more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon that we talked about last week, and Barak and Samson, we're going to see this week, and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. We're going to see that today. Women received their dead, raised to life again the widow of Zarephath's son, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. 
They were stoned. They were sawn in two, Isaiah, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. So through faith, they did all of this. And so it's amazing that along with these people like Abraham, or Jephthah and Gideon, now back to where we stopped last week, uh, we got all the way through chapter 8, but in the 33rd verse of chapter 8, before we start, we'll ask God to bless us. Lord, we just thank you for this time today in your word. We ask that you would just bless us and our families. Uh, just keep us safe from harm and from the evil one who's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and we're to resist him in our faith. And so, Lord, may we do this today, and may we be strong, and may we be Bible readers and Bible memorizers and Bible livers, that we live out the things that you tell us to do. We read that you love those that love you. So how wonderful that is to realize that he wants to do for those that love him, and that's what we are, those that love him. So bless us today, in Jesus' name, amen. So we saw right at the end of this, it was so as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel, remember when God spoke to Gideon and then he said, mighty man of valor, and he looked around like, who, me? Because he was such a coward. He was threshing wheat in the wine press, probably not much bigger than, well, maybe like this room or half the size of this room, hiding from the Midianites. So anyway, God used him in a wonderful way. And it said, as soon as he was dead, the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Berith their God. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the house of Jerubel, which is Gideon. Now that word Jerubel means let Baal plead for himself. Let Baal fight his own battles. You know, that's what they began to call Gideon after he burned down the idol to Baal that his father had. So anyway, they didn't show kindness to the house of Jeroboam, Gideon, in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. Now then the ninth chapter. And Abimelech, the son of Gideon, or Jeroboam, went to Shechem. Remember that story of Shechem back in Genesis, how Jacob's sons killed all the men of Shechem because the prince of Shechem took their sister and wanted to marry her, and they didn't want any part of that. She was in his house. She shouldn't, Dinah, she shouldn't have gone down there. But anyway, Shechem was in a plain that was just a beautiful place. And so Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem to his mother's brothers and spoke with them and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. So he evidently is a second wife of Gideon. He had a lot of wives and a lot of children. Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. Which is better for you, that all 70 of the sons of Jerubel reign over you, or that one reign over you? That's what he's saying, this Abimelech. He said, I'm the one really that should rule over you instead of all these other sons. Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. And his mother's brother spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. And their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. 
So they gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of baal Barith, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers. He killed 70 of his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, on one stone. So Gideon's 70 sons were killed by another son, Abimelech, a wicked one, on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left because he hid himself. So Jotham was left, and all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. So this pillar is probably the same thing that the worshiping um, this idol that the Canaanites worshipped. And when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim. See, Shechem um, is in the middle of these two mountains, you know, the curses and the blessings. And so evidently, you stand on this mountain and you could be heard all over the whole area. It would echo all over. So when they told it to him, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim, lifted his voice and cried out and said to them, listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. Now he's going to make a kind of a parable story and which was common for them to do in those days. So he's telling this story. The trees went forth to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, should I cease giving my oil with which they honor God and men and go to sway over trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? Then the trees said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and men and go to sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble. Now this is a picture of Abimelech, a wicked man. You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come down out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, that's what his other brother was left said, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his house and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you, risked his life and delivered you out of the hand of Midian. But you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed his 70 sons on one stone and made Abimelech, the son of his maidservant, king over the men of Shechem, because he is your brother. If then you have acted in truth and sincerity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, See, he was shouting this over the mountain and everybody heard. But if not, now this is his prophecy. Let fire come down from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come down from the men of Shechem and Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. Abimelech's going to do one thing, then these others are going to turn and kill him. And Jotham ran away and fled. He went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. After Abimelech had reigned over Israel three years, God sent a spirit of ill will, a demon, between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. See, they were in cahoots for a while, but he sent a demon to cause trouble 
between Abimelech and the men of Shechem. And the men of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the crime done to the seventy sons of Jerubel might be settled, and their blood be laid on Abimelech their brother, who killed him, and on the men of Shechem, who aided him in the killing of his brothers. And the men of Shechem set men in ambush against him on the tops of the mountains, and they robbed all who passed by them along that way, and it was told Abimelech. Now Gael, the son of Ebed, came with his brothers and went over to Shechem, and the men of Shechem put their confidence in him. So they went out into the fields, gathered grapes from their vineyards, and trod them, made merry, and they went into the house of their God, and ate and drank and cursed Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech, and who is Shechem, that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubel, and is not Zebel his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem, but why should we serve him? If only this people were under my hand, this Gael said, I'd be much better as a ruler. If only these people were under my hand, then I would remove Abimelech. So he said to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. When Zebel, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, his anger was aroused, and he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Take note, Gael, the son of Ebed, and his brothers have come to Shechem, and here they are, fortifying the city against you. Now therefore get up by night, you and the people who are with you, lie in wait in the field, and it shall be as soon as the sun is up in the morning, that you shall rise early and rush upon the city, and as soon as he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may then do to them as you find opportunity. So Abimelech and all the people who were with him rose by night, laid in wait against Shechem in four companies. And when Gael the son of Ebed went out and stood in the entrance to the city gate, Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from lying in wait. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebel, Look, people are coming down from the tops of the mountains. But Zebel said to him, You see the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. So Gael spoke again and said, See, people are coming down from the center of the land, and another company is coming from the diviner's terebinth tree. Then Zebel said to him, Where indeed is your mouth now with which you said, Who is Abimelech? that we should serve him. Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out, if you will, and fight with them now. So Gael went out, leading the men of Shechem, and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled from them, and many fell wounded, even to the entrance of the gate. Then Abimelech dwelt at Arumah, and Zebel drove out Gael and his brother, so that they would not dwell in Shechem. And it came about on the next day that the people went out into the field and they told Abimelech. So he took his people, divided them into three companies, laid in wait in the field. And he looked, and there were the people coming out of the city. And he arose against them and attacked them. Then Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward, stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, and the other two companies rushed upon all who were in the fields and killed them. So Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He took the city, killed the people who were in it, and he demolished the city and sowed it with salt, this beautiful Shechem, and that would make it not able to grow anything. Now when all the men of the tower of Shechem had heard that, they entered the stronghold of the temple of the god Barith. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered together evidently a great tower, maybe part of their religious system. Then 
Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, he and all the people who were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand, cut down a bough from the trees, took it and laid it on his shoulder. Then he said to the people who were with him, What you have seen me do, make haste and do as I have done. So each of the people likewise cut down his own bough, followed Abimelech, put them against the stronghold, set the stronghold on fire above them, so that all the people of the tower of Shechem died, about a thousand men and women. So this would be 13 miles north of Shechem, this tower. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he had camped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women, all the people of the city fled there and shut themselves in. Then they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it, and he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor bearer, and said, Draw your sword and kill me, lest men say of me, a woman killed him. So his young man thrust him through, the young man did, and Abimelech died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed every man to his own place. Thus God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father Gideon by killing his 70 brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem God turned on their own heads, and on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Gideon, or Jeroboam. Then in chapter 10, after Abimelech, now we're going to see these judges, some of them, very little is told about them. After Abimelech, there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar. So he was of the tribe of Issachar. He dwelt in Shammer in the mountain of Ephraim. That would be near Jezreel. He judged Israel 23 years, and he died and was buried in Shamir. Then after him rose Jer, a Gileadite. So he was from Gilead, and he judged Israel 22 years. Now he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. So this tells that he had a lot of affluence. He was wealthy. 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 towns, which are called Haveth Jer to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jer died and was buried in Cammon. Then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. From that year, they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. All the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah also, against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines? Also the Sidonians and Amalekites and Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you've chosen, 
Let them deliver you in your time of distress. Then the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer, God's soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. Then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled together and camped in Mizpah. And the people, the leaders in Gilead said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the people of Ammon? These Ammonites who descended from Lot. He shall be head over whoever fights against and wins from the Ammonites will be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. And Gilead's wife bore sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you're the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in, like in Syria, in Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. And now it came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Then they said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander, that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, That is why we've turned again to you now that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, If you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, The Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. Then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, saying, What do you have against me that you have come to fight against me? So he's going to try to see what on earth, why are you fighting against me? He goes to talk to them. Why have you come to fight against me in my land? And the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, Because Israel took away my land when they came out of Egypt, from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok to the Jordan. Now therefore restore those lands peaceably. So Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon and said to them, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. Because when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, Please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not listen. And in like manner they sent to the king of Moab. He wouldn't consent. So Israel remained in Kadesh. And they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab and came to the east side of the land of Moab and encamped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the border of Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihan, king of the Amorites, king of Heshbon. And Israel said to him, Please let us pass through your land into our place. See, he's telling all this to the king. Then 
Sihon did not trust Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together, encamped at Jahaz, and fought against Israel. And the Lord God of Israel delivered Sihon and all his people into the hand of Israel, and they defeated them. Thus Israel gained possession of all the land of the Amorites who inhabited that country. They took possession of all the territory of the Amorites, from the Arnon to the Jabbok, and from the wilderness to the Jordan. Now the Lord God of Israel had dispossessed the Amorites from before his people in Israel. Should you then possess it? That's what he said. Will you not possess whatever Chemosh your God gives you to possess? So whatever the Lord our God takes possession of before us, we will possess. He wasn't that brave of Jephthah to say this to them. And now, are you any better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever strive against Israel? Did he ever fight against them? While Israel dwelt in Heshbon and its villages, in Aror and its villages, and in all the cities along the banks of the Arnon, for 300 years, for 300 years, why didn't you recover them within that time? Therefore, I have not sinned against you, but you wronged me by fighting against me. May the Lord the judge, this is what Jephthah said, may the Lord the judge render judgment this day between the children of Israel and the people of Ammon. However, the king of the people of Ammon did not listen to the words which Jephthah sent to him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. Uh, don't make a vow that you'd be sorry for. In Numbers, the 30th chapter of Numbers, about vows. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Now, Dr. Ryrie says it concerning this verse, the latter part of the verse may be translated, shall surely be the Lord's if a human being comes first, or I will offer it up for a burnt offering if an animal appears first. So I'll just dedicate it to the Lord if a human being comes, or if it's an animal, I'll make it a burnt sacrifice. That's what he says. So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands. And he defeated them from Ararur as far as Mineth, 20 cities, and to Abel Karamim, and um, a very great slaughter. And the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And when Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, for you are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Now, see, a lot of people love to say that he did, like the Canaanites would do, offer her as a burnt sacrifice, killer. But I think that God did not do that. He did not want people to do that. And I think Dr. Ryrie is right in the translation of this, that I will just dedicate this She'll be an offering to the Lord. So here's what he did. When he saw her, she said, let this thing, verse 37, be done for me. Let me alone for two months. 
I want you all to remember this because a lot of people, they say, well, this is the mean God of the Old Testament that Jephthah killed his daughter. Well, maybe he did, but maybe he didn't. He probably didn't because it wasn't God's will to do that. But this is what he probably did. And so she said, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months. It doesn't sound like he was killing her. Let me alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. In other words, I'll never be able to marry. I'll never be able to be the mother of the Messiah, which every Jewish woman wanted to be. So he said, go. And he sent her away for two months and she went with her friends, bewailed her virginity on not her death. She didn't bewail her death. She bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so at the end of two months that she returned to her father and he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. What was it? She knew no man. She was a virgin the rest of her life. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days a year, each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. Then the men of Ephraim gathered together, crossed over towards Zaphon and said to Jephthah, why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon? So he, he's going to, some other Jewish people are going to be mad. He said, why didn't you call us? Why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and didn't call us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. And Jephthah said to them, my people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. And when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up this day to fight against me? Now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim, his brother. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, you Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim, among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. For the Gileadites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. And when any Ephraimite who escaped said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say, are you an Ephraimite? And he said, no. Then they would say to him, then pronounce the word Shibboleth. And he would say, Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it. See, it's like in the Southern have a different way of speaking than the northern. So they he couldn't say it the way they did. So they wouldn't let him go through. If he would say Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right, then they would take and kill him at the fords of the Jordan. There fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. And I have a note here from someplace. It says 300 years in separate provinces in Canaan made a difference in local pronunciation. So 300 years of that. So they had a different pronunciation for Shibboleth. Then Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in the cities of Gilead. And after him, Ibzan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons, and he gave away 30 daughters in marriage and brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons. He judged Israel seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried at Bethlehem. And after him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel. He judged Israel 10 years. And Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried at Agilon in the country of Zebulun. See, there are 12 judges. After him, Abdon, 
the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 young donkeys. He was very wealthy. He judged Israel eight years. So when you see Jesus coming in on a donkey, don't say that's lowly. No, that isn't. He's a king coming. King's sons rode white donkeys. And that's what Jesus is, the king of kings and lord of lords. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Parathonite, died and was buried in Pirathon in the land of Ephraim in the mountains of the Amalekites. Now we're going to see about Samson's career, and he's one of the heroes of faith. But he had a serious problem with women. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord, now this is a theophany, it's the Lord Jesus is coming uh, to speak in the form of an angel. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. Now that's different than a Nazarene. I've heard people say (laughs) Nazarene and Nazarite are the same thing. They are not the same thing. Person who's a Nazarene is from the city of Nazareth, but a person who's a Nazarite takes this vow to the Lord, and often they would make the vow themselves. But in this case, God is doing it through the angel. He said, "You shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. He shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines." So the woman came and told her husband, saying. A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. Very awesome. But I didn't ask him where he was from, and he didn't tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink or eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man has just now appeared to me, the one who came to me the other day. So Manoah arose and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor anything unclean, All that I have commanded her, let her observe. And then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. It's Jesus. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? 
that when your words come to pass, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? That's one of his names. That's what we read in Isaiah. He's wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Never put those words together, wonderful counselor. And it's not. He is a counselor, but he's wonderful. That's his name. He's a God of wonders. Now, because notice, seeing it's wonderful, I do wonders, I do miracles. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering, offered it upon the rock to the Lord, and he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. As the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, it happened that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. And when the angel of the Lord appeared, no more to Manoah and his wife than Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. He was God. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we've seen God. Then his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would have not accepted the burnt offering and the grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. So the woman bore a son, called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahana, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtal. Now Samson went down to Timnah, saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Every man did what was right in his own eyes during the time of the judges. He shouldn't have gone down there. They weren't to marry Philistines. They weren't to marry heathen. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. She's right in my eyes, is what the Hebrew really says. In other words, I like it, and that's the way it's going to be. So the lust of the eye is one of the sins <laughs> that we find in him. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. To his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. And, uh, he was a Nazarite. He should never have touched anything dead. But he took some of it in his hands, went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he didn't tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there. For the young men, that's what they used to do. So he broke his Nazarite vow, drinking wine. And it was so when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you can't explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments, 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong 
came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. So it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you in your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You don't love me. You've posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you haven't explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained to my father or my mother. Should I explain it to you? Now, she had wept on him those seven days while their feast lasted, and it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. <laughs> then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon in the Philistine territory, killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. After a while, in the time of wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, Let me go into my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went. He had a cruel streak, too, besides this immoral streak. He went and caught 300 foxes, took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, put a torch between each pair of tails. When he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and olive groves. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he's taken his wife and given her to his companion. So the Philistines came up, burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take revenge on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them with hip and thigh. Dr. Ryrie says, Leg on thigh, a wrestling figure indicating a slaughter using brute force. So he attacked them hip and thigh with great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Now the Philistines went up, camped in Judah, and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against this? So they answered, We have come to arrest Samson, to do to him as he's done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? You see the mentality and the fear that they had. We're slaves now of the Philistine. What is this you've done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I've done to them. And as they said to him, We have come down to arrest you, that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not kill me yourselves. So they spoke to him, saying, No, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand. But we will not surely kill you. Then they bound him with two new ropes, brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that's burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. 
He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heap upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. And so it was, when he'd finished speaking, that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called that place Ramath-Lehi. Then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, You've given me this great deliverance by the hand of your servant, and now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that's in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he called his name En Hekor, which is in Lehi, to this day. And he judged Israel twenty years in the days of the Philistines. Then Samson went to Gaza, down in the Philistine territory again, and saw a harlot there and went into her. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place, lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying, In the morning, when it's daylight, we will kill him. Then Samson lay low till midnight. Then he arose at midnight, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts, pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders, and carried them 38 miles, <laughs> mostly uphill, to Hebron. Imagine that. Now afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sarek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him. Find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him and afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies, and with what you may be bound to afflict you. <laughs> you know, what stupidity. How can any person fall for this that would be strong in the Lord? But in this area, he was very weak. He was very strong physically, but morally, he was very weak. And Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings, not yet dried, and she bound him with them. Now there were men lying in wait, staying with her in the room. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he broke the bowstrings as a strand of yarn breaks when it touches fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Look, you've mocked me and told me lies. Now please tell me what you may be bound with. So he said, Well, if they bind me securely with new ropes that have never been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Therefore Delilah took the new ropes, bound him with them, said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And there were men lying in wait, staying in the room, but he broke them off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell me what you may be bound with. And he said to her, If you weave seven locks of my head into the web of the loom, so she wove it tightly with the batten of the loom, said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled out the batten and the web from the loom. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times and have not told me where your great strength lies. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily. Why he stayed there, I don't know. When she pestered him daily and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death, that he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven... Then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak, be like any other man. 
When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines and said, Come up once more, for he's told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her, brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees, called for a man, and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. Then she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before, as at other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our god is delivered into our hands, Samson, our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God is delivered into our hands, our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between the pillars. So he went in the middle of the temple. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars which support the temple, so that I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. In fact, there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who watched while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And so... Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might, and the temple fell on the lords and all the people who were in it. So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he killed in his life, 300 men and women. And his brothers and all his father's household came down and took him, brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshchal in the tomb of his father Manoah. And he judged Israel 20 years. Well, we aren't going to finish Judges today, but this last part we'll finish next week. But it is so terrible, the apostasy of the period about Micah and the migration of the Danites and Micah and his private priest and the false religious and the wickedness. Well, it's really sad. But then we come to the end and it said, In those days, verse 25, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. See, when that happens, it's just perilous, isn't it? So we'll finish that and probably start the little book of Ruth because in the midst of this dark, dark time of the judges, there's this bright spot. See, God always has a remnant, even today, amongst all the abortion mills and all the wickedness in the world and the killing and burning of people and murders and all that. God has a remnant, doesn't he, of those who will follow him and believe in him. So bless us, Lord, as we think about these things. This is a very important little book, this book of Judges. But even more wonderful as the one we'll see next week, which is the book of Ruth. Bless us today and bless us this week. In Jesus' name, amen.